This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the ProSource Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Nee Wallace-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I am joined, as always, by the one, the talented, the only, Mr. Colbert Durand, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. I'm doing great. We got uh, one of our previous guests back on the show. That's right. We have a friend of the show. He's come back not for the second time, but for the third time. It is the NBA Capologist. He is also a writer at Bleacher Report. It is Mr. Eric Pincus. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you on. Now, before we get into some some on-court stuff, let me ask you, are you into NFTs at all? Uh, I haven't gotten into NFTs. I'm, I'm curious, but uh, it's just more a matter of just having time to really look into it and really explore it. So, uh, curious, but not uh, actively. Fair enough. Kobe, you're into NFTs, aren't you? Big time, buddy. Big time. NBA Top Shot has changed the market. There we go. Now, speaking of markets, we got the uh, NBA trade deadline coming up, Eric, and it seems like we're going to have a few movers and shakers, particularly where you are in LA with the Lakers. How are things going with the purple and gold on that side? Uh, well, have you watched any of the games? <laughs> not, not particularly <laughs> well. It depends what game you watch. Every other game, they're pretty good, uh, and then every other game, they're pretty awful. So uh, they've struggled. Uh, I think you can really blame injuries if you want. Some will say that's an excuse, but if you value Anthony Davis, then that theory next man up just doesn't hold. I mean, if the next man up is not Anthony Davis or LeBron or whatever, you're, you're going to struggle. And so I think uh, if you look at the struggle that they've had all year, uh, they've had too many injuries and they're built as such that they're not really designed to handle injuries. They've got about four guys making above the minimum, about maybe five. Yeah, five guys making above the minimum. Everyone else is a minimum contract. So, uh, you know, to a degree, you get what you pay for. You might get a little more uh, out of some of them. But by and large, this is not a team built to handle adversity. It's interesting you mentioned that. Perhaps it would have been built to handle adversity maybe five or six years ago, considering some of the names that are on the roster at the moment. But in saying that, could you see someone like Anthony Davis even being shifted to to a to another team, or is he still a cornerstone of that franchise? I don't have any expectation they would move Anthony Davis. Uh, that doesn't sound like a plan that the Lakers have anyway. So uh, you know, while anything is possible, uh, there's probably a dozen players, give or take, that are legally unable to be traded, probably less, uh, just based on recent signings of extensions. But just about anyone technically can be moved. But, I mean, the problem isn't 
Davis, then the problem isn't LeBron. The problem is probably that they invested too many resources into Russell Westbrook, which is not necessarily his problem, right? Like, he's the same guy, give or take, that he's always been maybe a, a few degrees less athletic or very, very minorly still a, a very talented player, but uh, they put so much into the resources to acquire him, they just don't really have the kind of depth. So I think if there's an, an exploration now, it's it's in how to get more depth on this team so that they can be a little bit more competitive and, and really just a little bit more consistent. Mm-hmm. And just saying with Westbrook is a good point you raised because we're recording on the 24th of January and you actually dropped a piece on Bleacher Report about a potential John Wall for Westbrook trade. We want to tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Well, sure. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation just in general about what the Lakers might be able to do, and, and rightfully so, in that they've underperformed, and, and Rob Plinka, the general manager, has scoured the market for opportunity, which is what his job is, what all uh, of the general managers and vice presidents of basketball operation, whatever their titles are, that's what they're supposed to do. And so he is no different, and he's kind of reached out to just see what the market would be if there is a market for Russell Westbrook among other players. And uh, it appears that there is no market at the time for Westbrook uh, because he's owed about $48 million next year, uh, almost almost 48. And that's a lot. Uh, it's a lot in basketball terms. Like in basketball terms, maybe 20 million isn't a lot, which is, you know, sounds crazy, but like you can you know, argue 20 million, but it's really hard to argue $48 million or in that neighborhood. So the only player that's kind of in the same boat or the only other team that's kind of in that same boat are the Houston Rockets. And they have John Wall on a very similar contract, not exactly to the dollar, but pretty darn close to the same contract that Russell Westbrook has. It's about $48 million. They're not even playing him this year. And so there was an article written by Mark Stein, who publishes on Substack, and uh, great Substack. If, if if you haven't checked that out, please do. Uh, Mark's yeah, I've known him for quite a long time, and he's among the best still in the industry. And so, uh, if you read what he has to say, there's a, a willingness apparently on the Houston side to have that conversation uh, regarding Russell Westbrook. And, and I think, from the point of view of the Rockets, if the Lakers are desperate and they want to swap a contract out for a different contract that's almost identical. Uh, sure, you know, why not? As long as they get compensated to do so. And that's really where I kind of touch on what that would mean. And then also, why would you do that? Because if you say John Wall hasn't played all year, what's the point? There is a point in it in that if the Lakers were so willing, they could bring in additional players uh, because you can match salaries up to, in their case, 125%. So they could bring it up, depending on who else they sent out, they sent out Kendrick Nunn, who's been hurt, or Taylor Horton Tucker, who uh, is at least of interest to some teams. Now you might be in a position where you might be able to bring back three or four different players and add a, a different layer of depth. Maybe bring in a, an Eric Gordon from Houston along with maybe David Nwaba and Wall and a, another player or two. And, and I'm not saying that the Lakers would be willing to pay that kind of tax because that would boost their tax bill somewhat significantly. But it's at least a possibility and, you know, just wanted to reflect on what Mark had written, Mark Stein had written, and, and show the logic to it. And, uh, you know, to me, it still feels like a long shot. I don't know if the Lakers are fully ready to admit that they made a, a, a mistake in getting Russell Westbrook. And that, that kind of move basically says, yeah, we blew it. And 
I just I don't know if they're ready to fess up to that sort of view. It doesn't matter how <laughs> obvious it might be to others. Uh, to them, they may not, not want to take that kind of responsibility. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Eric, uh, which teams you think maybe have significantly underperformed this season leading up to the trade deadline that might make a move? Well, I mean, those are <laughs> those are kind of two different two different questions attached together. <laughs> Um, because the, the reasons why you make a move might not be that you perform poorly. For instance, yes, the Pelicans have been really bad compared to their expectation. They have sort of closed in a little bit on, on a chance at the play-in tournament, so they still technically could make a run at the playoffs. But more importantly, you know, they haven't had Zion Williamson healthy all year. He hasn't played all year. And they do have some tools, be it some players or uh, what's called a trade exception. Uh, they can bring in a player via trade up to about 17 or so million dollars without having to send a player out. And that's a real advantage. And it might not make a difference this season. This is not the season for them to win a title, but it might be the opportunity to add a piece for next year that could, um, you know, when Zion is healthy, give them a chance to, to be a more you know, capable team. And so uh, there are teams that have underperformed. Uh, and it's all relative to expectation. I know the Knicks and the Hawks both agreed that they would be uh, top playoff teams in the, in the East. I think both organizations felt that they would be at least in the running for third behind uh, the Nets and the Bucks, and ends up the Heater are really good too. So I think, you know, and the Bulls, of course. But I, I think the argument would be that both org- organizations thought they'd be in the neighborhood of at least four or five, and both are not even technically in the plane as a we're, we're recording right now, and certainly they're not far off. And they're both basically kind of 500 teams lately, but the Hawks are on a bit of a run. Both think they're going to get in still, and would like to make some moves to make that happen. And you know, I, the Pacers have been hurt all year. They I think they've basically agreed to blow up their organization as far as the, the current team they had. They've been snake bit with injuries almost more than anybody. I think maybe not Denver, but they they've just been decimated. Uh, Blazers, of course. To me, I don't know if they're they've disappointed. I kind of had no, I had lower expectations. I know the Kings thought they would be better, that's for sure. Uh, so this is a disappointing team, and and all of these teams would like to make moves, but then so would the teams like the Bulls who or the the Hornets who are probably better than they expected. They would like to make moves that would further their chances. So I think every team wants to get better. I don't think that's a question. There are probably a few teams that don't mind getting worse for the rest of the season, though when it comes to lottery positioning. So it's not all about today, but it is about the long-term path to making your team a contender or at least a competitive team, a playoff team. Okay. Now, me and I have actually discussed this before, but we believe that the Raptors should add another big man. What do you think about the Raptors? Yeah, it's it's hard to say what the Raptors are going to do. I've heard a lot of different things, and they range from finding some pieces to help them win more quickly to flat out blowing up certain pieces like Pascal Siakam could be had for the right price, but an exorbitant price. Like they wouldn't just trade Siakam. They would want a ton for him, but it's, it's not an absolute no. It's not like we won't have that conversation. It's just that we'll have that conversation, but we need something really, really special because, you know, they believe that he's a really good player still. It's not, it would just be a matter of um, probably that decision to say, what can we build around Scotty Barnes, who's, you know, they, Raptors did you know, exceptionally well in the draft, got a really nice young player. Yeah, They've got some nice pieces, but they were a championship team not too long ago, so they're sort of 
have some of the holdovers like Siakam, uh, you know, Fred VanVleet, who's been great this year. They picked up Gary Trent recently last year in trade. OG has been, you know, a piece that I think they wouldn't move. I think that's the OG and, and Barnes are probably the two pieces they wouldn't move for anyone. I, I think it would take a massive haul to get Fred VanVleet out of there. Uh, I don't think that's likely to even be discussed on at length. And then, you know, Siakam is someone that they are trying to make it work with. Uh, they do have Boucher and Birch, uh, Precious, uh, Achua. All of these guys are, I don't think Boucher's a prospect anymore. He's actually not that far from 30. I think he's like 28 or 29 or something like that. If there's a hole, if there's a, a lack, it's definitely on the big side. You, you definitely have Fred Van Vliet, and you have a lot of wings from Trent to Ananobi to even Siakam. They, they do play some Siakam at center. Correct. Uh, but this is definitely a team that could uh, benefit from a, a high-level center. Hard hard part is getting that. Now, you could argue maybe trying to go after a Sabonis. In Indiana, might be an interesting thing. Or a, a Miles Turner. Uh, but Turner has a foot injury. and it, you know, I, Raptors would have to be absolutely certain that he's... Um, that it's not a serious issue, and, and I don't know if they can get that certainty to make the kind of that kind of move. And, and uh, I haven't heard of a lot of buzz specifically on who they're getting, but I've heard that Gordon Dragic and his expiring contract, which is about 19 million, and Chris Boucher at about 7 million, can get them almost anywhere when it comes to making a deal to any mm-hmm. player. I've heard them linked to Simmons. Uh, I don't think they're they're offering enough to get someone like uh, Ben Simmons. I mean, that, they're just a team that's. I kind of view as a wild card. You know, there are a few teams like that. The Pelicans are probably another one. We're just like, if they did anything, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, no, no fair fair enough. All right, cool. There we go. And you're listening to the ProSource Podcasters with Eric Pincus. Now, Eric, you touched on Pascal Siakam. I just want to ask, this may sound like an obvious question, but I need to ask. <laughs> are you saying that Pascal Siakam is highly valued by the market at the moment? No, I. it's not that I... Uh, I think his production relative to his price is a lot for teams. Well, you add in the factor of what they would want to in return. So it's it's his production, which has increased over the course of the past month, his price, which is exorbitant for his years of service, for the number of years he's been in the league, he is a very high, highly paid player uh, because the the specific kind of contract they gave him, he's making more than a typical five-year player would at 33 million. He's got 35 the next year, 38 about the next year. Uh, so if you take into account his price, which is higher than most, his production, which is strong, but maybe not LeBron. You're not getting a LeBron. You're not getting a Giannis. But you're maybe you're getting a second-tier star, which is great. But you're not getting your top-tier star. And then the fact that at least what I understand to be a fact, I don't think fact is the right word, but at least the word that I've heard that they want a lot in return, though that sort of diminishes the likelihood of a deal getting done because he, it's similar to Sabonis, right? It's similar to a De'Aaron Fox over in uh, mm. in Sacramento. It's, it's, mm-hmm. There are players where those teams really value those players. They, they're just not going to just give them away. They want something substantial back. Whereas I think, and it's not that the Pacers don't value Miles Turner, I just think that they're more eager to to make a deal and his money's better as far as year to year. It's around the 20 range, a little bit lower and it's not that long. And it, it, it it's the kind of deal that I, or the kind of player that I think is easier to move because of the dollar amount. And it's part of why Simmons is, has been such a difficult challenge for the Sixers because he does make similar to Siakam quite a bit of money. 
Uh, and then they're also trying to move Tobias Harris with him, and that he needs even more money than Simmons, and that, that becomes really challenging. And, and, you know, getting back to the Westbrook thing, same idea. Trying to move somebody making that kind of money, it gets really difficult. For sure. And as someone who grew up in Australia, like young Ben, uh, it's it's been interesting to see some of the rumored offers that were sent and subsequently rejected by the Sixers. It does make you wonder what the Philadelphia front office is going to accept, if they accept anything at all. Maybe we could see a situation where Simmons sits out the whole 2022 season. Is that something that we, we, we could see? I think so. That, that's certainly what the Sixers are uh, expressing to other teams, that they're open to that. And, and, and the logic would be, if they have an opportunity to make a move now, so be it, if they can get the return. But if they wait, they might be able to, and there's no guarantee, but they might be able to get, say, a, a Damian Lillard, a Bradley Beal, a James Harden. And if they think that they have a real opportunity to get one of those players, if they're taking less than that now, that's not worthwhile. It, it is worth waiting if they can get one of those players as opposed to taking one who maybe isn't as talented or as, as powerful or whatever, however you want to describe it. I, I get the logic and I get why they would wait. And also they kind of have to tell teams that they would wait so that they have some sort of leverage because otherwise they're kind of in a tough spot. If, if they put on themselves this artificial deadline that they have to make a move before February 10th or on February 10th, then teams are going to lowball them and try to give just a little bit more than the other guy mm-hmm. to get it done. And that doesn't help the Sixers at all. They need to make it clear if they want to have any leverage that they're willing to wait. So you're not competing with other teams in this market. You're actually competing with the next market, the market at the draft and the free agency. And and that's only something we can project. And since it's an, it's an unknown, it's amorphous, the Sixers can claim whatever they want and say that, oh, yeah, we think we can do this, that, and the other thing, but it doesn't have to be true. You know, the risk is, is that it, do, it, it doesn't get done. Doesn't, you know, they don't get the offers that they want or uh, teams won't come up and meet them. And then they get to the draft and they get to free agency and then maybe there's still nothing there. And then this thing keeps going on and on and on. So there, there's no great solution. Uh, some problems don't have a great solution. So I think this is fair to say this is one of those. The saga continues. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at pro.sports.podcasters for the most current sports news. Now back to the show. Eric, being an L.A. resident that you are and also a follower of the, the Lakers, I've got to ask this question. The Lakers aren't having a good season. You pointed it out. They are hot one day, cold the next. The Clippers, they're just as enigmatic. But there is one successful team in L.A. right now, the Rams, the football Rams. I've got to ask... Do they get much sway in LA at the moment, or are they still a bit of a second fiddle to the the basketball teams? Football is still a massive sport in this country, and I think you can argue pretty safely that it's a bigger sport nationally than basketball. Um, Not historically in LA, though. Yes, that's the thing. Is LA has n- never been an NFL town. It did have the Raiders, it, you know, we had the Chargers, we've had the Rams. And it, it's, for whatever reason, um, the, you know, the Lakers have really captured the imagination of, of, of the city. And to, to a degree, the Dodgers as well. I mean, this is a Dodgers mm-hmm. town yeah. as much as it is a, a, a Lakers town. And, you know, it's just, we're a baseball town, we're uh, to a, uh, certainly a basketball town, and to a degree, even a hockey town. I mean, the Kings are, you know, pretty well loved. 
Uh, but yeah, there, there's a growing fan base. I think the Rams probably more than the Chargers. Uh, sorry, Chargers. Uh, <laughs> it's just, no, I'm, I'm not mad. I, look, I don't even follow NFL anymore. I, I, I watched a, a, the end of some of the games this weekend, which were pretty spectacular, but I'm honestly, I don't, it's, it's just not my, you know, I used to play, I played football more than I actually played basketball, but I, I was always a basketball fan way, way more than football. I just wasn't very tall. <laughs> Still not. Fair enough. No, actually, I find that kind of interesting. Now, have you always lived in L.A. or no? I mean, long enough to say yes. I mean, I moved out here when I was about six uh, from New York. So I, I have, I certainly have an affection for New York, which is where I was uh, born and, and uh, grew up a Mets fan. That was my first sport. That was my first love in, in, in the sports world. Even when I moved to L.A., I had all of my family from back east, uh, my uncles and, and whatnot, who were diehard Mets fans. And so that carried forward, and I was around when they won their title. Back in the Daryl Strawberry days and Dwight Gooden and all that, um, yeah. and Keith Hernandez right. and all that, great time, uh, and I, I have a lot of affection for it. But you know, ultimately, my my interest turned to to uh, obviously the basketball, and it, it wasn't that I was growing up in the Magic LA era. I was around for that, and I was younger for that. But um, I just became, I mean, more of the Nick Van Exel era in the '90s, uh, leading into the Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal era, is around the time I started covering and working professionally doing what it is that I do now. Okay, so yeah, let's let's get on the subject of what you do now, which is Capology. I got to ask, how has the pandemic affected the cap in the NBA? Well, it's 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 probably too long a conversation and probably too nerdy to be honest for the general audience other than to say like the players and the league work together. The players are in a union. It's called the, you know, NBPA, the National Basketball Players Association, and the, the league in responding to the pandemic, the NBA had no power to just change how things were. You know, the, the, in March of 2020, uh, the NBA came to a halt to get it restarted. It wasn't going to take the, the NBA. It was going to take a joint effort of the NBA and the MBPA. And so a lot of credit to Chris Paul and Michelle Roberts, who ran it at the time. They, uh, Michelle's retiring at the end of this year, which should be, I guess, but I think she's re- maybe it's the end of the season uh, and not the year. I'll have to look into that. Uh, and then, Chris Paul has been replaced by C.J. McCollum, uh, but they've kept the league going, and I think that's the most important thing. The changes have to do with um, something called cap smoothing to make sure the salary cap doesn't go crazy. Okay. Because the the league lost a lot of money in the 2020-21 season, and then the, you know, last season there were no fans in the buildings up to a certain point, and late in the, some some arenas did, and some didn't. And then it was a, it wasn't until around the playoffs that uh, you could go to like a Lakers game at, at the formerly known as Staples Center. Uh, and so there was a lot of money lost. And so uh, because of that, a lot of new rules are in place that are just in place for the pandemic. And you know, if there's one that stands out, uh, it's probably that they've loosened the rules on two-way contracts a little bit to make it easier for two ways to participate on all training and to be a bigger part of the team and to play more than a certain number uh, of days that was, you know, was a limitation before. So uh, definitely, I think uh, Chris Paul and, and, and the union and, and the league uh, should deserve some credit for working together to make sure that we still have this game going. And, and uh, for the most part, almost as good as it's always been. Uh, it's, it's a, it was a little rough about a month ago when, or even a few weeks ago when everyone was on hardships and in the protocol, but that's right. You know, they've survived it. Okay. No, that's all right. Just I was wondering if there was any like significant changes, but yeah, there, there, there's quite a few. But again, it's it's in a number of different areas that you can't really cover all of it. 
for sure. I guess I could shorten it down to, are there any particular teams or markets that got hit the hardest? I mean, it, it's, you know, just in the last month, some teams have had games postponed, the Nets, the the Bulls, and, and yet the, the Hornets haven't had the need to uh, sign any hardship players at all. They're, so far, I'm still, I'm still running through and catching up, but I'm about two-thirds of the way through the league, and, and so far they're the only team that hasn't brought up a hardship player. Oh. Which is basically means you know when when you get a player in the protocol you're allowed you're not even allowed you basically have to replace them at this point uh, yeah with with a player just because they the main idea is that the league doesn't want to have to cancel games because it's really hard to reschedule them and it throws mm-hmm. off the rest of the schedule and, and there's some parity built into the schedule to try to balance it out so teams are are not doing more back to backs than others although there's always some imbalance. They try to at least level it out a certain... There's a lot of thought that went into it, right or wrong, successful or not. That's the goal anyway. So, uh, you know, I think every team's been hit by it. But ultimately, I think it's it's a matter of going back in time to the, the bubble season. I think not every team was built for the bubble. Okay. Uh, I think the Lakers in particular and the Heat benefited from where they were in a culture standpoint. Uh, specifically with LeBron James and a bunch of veterans... I think he was the right leader for that group. I think the, the Jimmy Butler and the infrastructure that the Heat have provided over the, the many years, I think really put them in a, in a very good place going into the bubble. But I also think the timing of rushing the next season hurt all four teams that got to the conference finals that year, including the Nuggets and uh, I forget who else. So the Lakers benefited. I think they've been hurt by you know, last year. Anthony Davis got hurt. Uh, LeBron wasn't the same last year. I still think uh, LeBron and AD and some of these older players, so older teams in general, I think have struggled. I thought they, like the Heat last year were nothing. You know, when it came to get in the playoffs, they got beat by the Bucks, a team that they feel and they showed the year before that they're better than. And I'm not saying they are better than, but from their point of view, they are better than the Bucks. And the only reason they lost the Bucks last year, from their point of view, is that they they had too quick of a turnaround and they just weren't healthy and so they're out to prove and show that they're still better than the Bucks and I know the Buck fans and the Bucks themselves probably don't agree I would assume <laughs> so uh, I hope the two of them match up in the playoffs I would love to see that definitely for sure yeah it'd be it'd be cool to see that uh, a repeat performance an encore if you will don't call it a comeback I guess we've kind of neglected the Clippers we should probably give them a little bit of love. <laughs> What what what's going on with the other team in LA? Uh, well, it's it's sort of a down year for them. Uh, Kawhi Leonard got hurt last year. That's um, unfortunate. And while it's not a hundred percent that he won't return, I was told at the beginning of the year not to expect him to play this year. Uh, and so, uh, with that in mind, if you don't have your best player, you're probably not going to be very good. And there's nothing you can do about that. You know, like we talked about with the Lakers, next man up is a point where no one is going to be as good. Paul George is as close to Kawhi Leonard as there is, but the team is built around the two of them, and now Paul George is hurt, and he had an elbow injury. They're taking their time to let Paul get back in shape, and I think, ultimately, I think the Clippers have, this is my opinion, it's probably right, is that they've probably written off the season as as just an, a loss. You know, like that's, the focus is is just getting through it, getting the best uh, you know position they could be for the future, be it through trade or just development. They've been developing uh, Amir Coffey, who's been really good. They found Isaiah Hartenstein, who's uh, been around for a while, not that long, but hasn't really found a home. He's been good. 
B.J. Boston's a nice prospect. Some of the other players, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries, and, and they got hit pretty hard by COVID as well. So uh, but, you know, Reggie Jackson continues to be a really nice player. Uh, so I, I do think that they're open to making some moves. But to me, their kind of moves are going to be the uh, – they'll let another team panic, and they'll just be ready to scoop up a, a good deal because they don't have to make a move. There's not a lot of pressure. They have, they're well positioned to just uh, operate and take, you know, they've got the pieces they need to make a good move without having to panic and rush. And I think other teams are going to panic. And I think the Clippers are reasonably speaking going to take advantage of somebody. Not, nothing like a crazy blockbuster, but in some way, I think that they'll make a trade that'll help them more than it'll help uh, whoever it is that's panicking. Mm-hmm. So I guess they'll be cautious when others are, I guess, aggressive and aggressive when everyone else is cautious. I think that's fair. Something like that. <laughs> I think I'm butchering the, the old saying, but whatever. I'm making my own saying. Now, um, Eric, where can people find your opinions and your writings on the internet? Well, the, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter, at Eric Pincus, E-R-I-C-P-I-N-C-U-S. Uh, you can also find me, I mean, Twitter is really where I, I publish everything at that handle. So the, the publishing is actually at Bleacher Report. I write for them at least a couple times a week, give or take fluctuates depending on what's going on in the world and going on with my schedule. And uh, I also work for Sports Biz Classroom. That's the Twitter handle, B-I-Z, Sports Biz Classroom. It's actually Sports Business Classroom. And uh, we're an educational program that uh, helps people learn how to get into the business of the NBA uh, and sports. And we have a really, uh, really good track record of, of helping people get jobs, which is something I take a lot of pride in. We've got 50, 60 people who have come to our program who have MBA or, or uh, even G League or uh, whatever positions. And that's really, uh, you know, really rewarding to kind of pay that forward and see other people have that kind of success in this industry. Right on. Okay. Yeah. I like the sound of that. There we go. So there we have it. The one, the only Mr. Eric Pincus, copologist, writer, and sports business teacher. Now, Eric, just before we let you go, do you have any bold predictions for the rest of the NBA season? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. A bold prediction for the NBA season. I, I mean, uh, just looking at, I, I think people need to seriously look at the Heat and the Bucks as as arguably the two best teams. I think that the Nets have struggled for that health. Mm-hmm. Same with the Bulls, unfortunately. The Sixers are a wild card. I, I'm still not sold that they'll be able to get it done. And then in, in the West, if the Warriors don't get Draymond Green back healthy, they're not going to do much. They're just not. I love Steph and what he can do, but I look at Draymond Green as the the engine that drives that team. Not sold the Jazz are going to do much in the playoffs. I'm really curious and, and unsure of what the Grizzlies will do, uh, but I think they might win a series, at least one. I don't think they'll win the conference finals. I don't think they'll get to the finals. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Grizzlies win a series this year. All right. We'll watch with interest and we'll be more knowledgeable for it for sure. Well, thanks for being on, Eric. Of course. Happy to do it. Thanks, guys. If you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters, be sure to reach us on our Twitter account, where you can also slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet. Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter.